Here's Pastor Steve Converse to begin today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Salvation is a path to glory. And once you begin on that path, you have to come to its end because that's the essence of salvation for which we were saved, glorification. But there's a problem. (laughs) The problem is this. The path to glorification is through suffering. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Hi there, and welcome to our program. This is Graceful Truth. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Converse, will take us back to Romans chapter 8. We'll take a look at verses 17 and 18 as we begin a look at a new section of Romans dealing with suffering. What is the pathway to glory? Well, it is through suffering. How we get through it will be the subject of the next few weeks together. Join us. Here's Pastor Steve with today's broadcast. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. This morning we're starting a new section in Romans, actually beginning down there, verse 18, and we're going to finish up verse 17 where we left off uh, last time. You know, just way of introduction, um, I think every Christian, those of us who know the Lord, obviously live in that hope of glory to come one day, right? I mean, the idea that we're going to be in his presence, uh, free from sin, free from the presence of sin, and totally glorified and and perfect in every way, that is definitely something to look forward to. 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 says this, When Christ shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's truly a hope that the believer has. Uh, Even David, psalmist says in Psalm 17, verse 15, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. See, our great hope as believers is to be in heaven, in God's presence, and to be like Christ. Because we know if that's going to happen, then we're not going to be like ourselves anymore. We're not going to be sinful. We're not going to be imperfect. We're going to be totally uh, uh, Christ-like in every way. And the theme of our text this morning here, beginning in like verse 17, all the way to the end of the chapter, we're not going to get through all this, obviously. We're just hitting a couple verses today, but is our hope of such a glory. That's really what this speaks of. It speaks of that future glory that we have. It's probably one of the greatest chapters in the Bible speaking to the security of those who have trusted Christ for their salvation. The idea that you are saved. And it's not based on your own works. It's not based on your own deeds. It's not based on your own personality. It's not based on who you are. It's based on who God is. And in that we find security. And so just in way of of review, just so we understand, Romans 8 really focuses on the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And he really begins for the very first verse to confirm to us that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Uh, That is a blessed hope. That is something that we hold on to every day. Because I don't know about you, but I feel condemnation almost daily. You know, when you don't do what God has instructed you to do, or you're disobedient in some way, or you fall into sin, or whatever it might be, you know, there's condemnation heaped upon you. And it's good to come back here and to recognize 
that in Christ there is now no condemnation before God. And that's not because of who we are once again. It's because we have been justified by faith through Christ and that we're given the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, there's no condemnation. And, you know, you can lay your head on your pillow at night knowing that there is no condemnation if you have trusted in Christ. Uh, And he does that by freeing us from our sin, by enabling us to fulfill God's law. We've gone through this before, changing our nature in verses 5 to 11 of this this chapter here, chapter 8. He talks about empowering us for victory. The Spirit does in verses 12 to 13. And then last week, for two weeks, we talked about uh, confirming our adoption as sons of God. And so it's, we, we come to this kind of uh, almost apex in the chapter here. And it's, it's really something that the Spirit does in our lives that He guarantees our heavenly glory. The Holy Spirit guarantees our glory. And um, he says that in a lot of places. But turn with me over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Just real quick. Ephesians chapter 1. And it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. Over and over again, as you kind of look through this chapter. We're obviously not going to go through this. just too much there. But when you stop and you read through that chapter, you're going to see that, you know what? It says that the Spirit is a down payment, right? He's our down payment. Uh, He's the first installment. He's what's referred to as an engagement ring. Uh, He's the guarantee of our eternal glory. And if you read through that chapter, you're going to see very clearly that, wow, we are guaranteed something in Christ. This isn't a hit or miss kind of deal. This is something that we are secure in Christ because the Spirit of God takes up residence in us and is that down payment. He's that guarantee. And when you go back to Romans chapter 8, you see verses 17 through 30, you see this same theme over and over emphasized. It's the, that work that the Holy Spirit does in securing our salvation. And he really goes into, Paul goes into aspects of how the Holy Spirit does just that. How he makes this opportunity for us to to be in a, a state of no condemnation before God. And he explains that. Because see, it's in that state, it's in that that in Christ, that relationship that we have, having our sins forgiven, that we enjoy the freedom from sin's dominion in our in our lives. We enjoy the ability to fulfill the law of God, the desire to do the mind of of Christ, the things of the spirit and not the things of the flesh, the power to overcome, overcome the deeds of the flesh and the sense of belonging to God as his own beloved children, sons of God. That's our position. That's our place. That's our relationship in Christ that we have with God our Father. And all those confirmations are given to us in this text in Romans through the work of the Spirit. He kind of sums it up all the way down there in, in verse 30. If you look at the end of the chapter, I'll give you a little glimpse. He says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, it's very important to understand that whoever is justified, whoever is made right with God through Jesus Christ, will be glorified. 
There's no second guess. There's no uh, second chance. You will be glorified. That is guaranteed. And that's what Jesus meant when he said in John chapter 6 verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose, what? Nothing of all that he has given me, meaning the Father, but raise it up on the last day. See, there's no salvation, beloved, without glorification. There can't be. Because if you're not a glorified being, you're not going to be in heaven. That's the only way that we can inherit that, that place, that we can be transformed, that we are, we are changed, the Bible says. And when you think of our salvation, we often think of it as, as something that happened in the past. You know, when were you saved? Oh, I was saved back. But we fail to understand that, you know what, there's different tenses of our salvation. Surely we were saved before the foundations of the world when God chose us to be in him. But when we made that profession of faith in Christ, we started the sanctifying, saving process that God works in our lives each and every day. But there's also a future tense to our salvation. And a person's salvation will not be complete. It will not be real unless that future tense of glorification is realized. Now, there's some people, some Christians, well-meaning people, they claim that a, that, that a Christian, somebody who puts their faith and trust in Christ, can become saved and then they can lose their salvation. And they, they say they forfeit their future glorification. You know, I've read through the Bible and tried to look at different angles of this. Um, It's just not possible. It's not possible to lose something that God has secured in your life. It's not possible because we inherit, you know, inerrant in the truth of salvation is the guarantee of that future glory. It's all one deal. It's not like you get saved and then hopefully if you're good enough, one day you'll be glorified. That's why when we look at verses like Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul can say with confidence, I am confident of this very thing. That what? He who began, he, God, began what? A good work in who? In you, in me. And you know what? He will perfect that until the day of Christ Jesus. It doesn't say we will perfect it. It says he will perfect it. He is doing that work. It's not us. And see, if he is doing the work, then we have to realize that, you know what? We're not greater than God. And if God is going to save us, he is going to save us. So we look at Romans 8, 29, the verse before, the one I just read. For those whom he foreknown, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, before you were even saved, God planned to save you and to conform you into the image of Christ. And then you follow up with with verse 30. It just totally makes sense. That all will be glorified, those who are in Christ Jesus. No one slips through God's fingers. It's not like God is saying, hey, I'm going to try to save everybody, but, you know, a couple may get away. (laughs) You know, like that fish that got away, you know. It's not going to happen. From predestination to calling to justification to glorification, he, God, completes that work. I don't know about you, but I I sleep well at night realizing that truth. Because glorification means this. You might be asking, well, what does it mean to be glorified? Glorification simply means complete, complete deliverance from sin. Complete deliverance from sin. Now, positionally, God has 
kind of delivered us from sin and our standing before him. We're justified. We're declared righteous. But you know what? We deal with sin every day. Sin still is part of our lives. And it will be until we leave this earth, either in a box or in the air. And you know what? Once we do, if we're trusting in Christ for our salvation, in that second that we leave, the Bible says that we will be in the presence of God himself, in the presence of our Lord and Savior. And so complete in every sense, that occurs when we enter into the presence of the Lord. We are made perfect like our Lord Jesus Christ himself. See, that's the goal of our salvation. You know, the goal of our salvation isn't to make us happy and wealthy. And that's not the goal of our salvation. The goal of our salvation is that we are saved for that final glorification process that will take place. And we have to be reminded of that. We have to be reminded that salvation has a purpose. And it's glorification. And so glorification, when that happens, it, it completes the reality of our salvation. We'll finally realize what it will be like to be in God's presence for all eternity. And so we have to stop and remind ourselves that, you know, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, he's confirming that truth to us every day as we live down here on this sin-filled, stained earth. We need to be reminded that, you know what, this is not our home. There's a place that awaits for us. This is just kind of a, a temporary situation here. And we can put our hope and our trust in that truth. That's really what, look at verse, uh, Romans chapter 8. Verse 24, he says, For in this hope we were saved. What hope is he talking about? He says, Now the hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, we grow in patience. We grow impatient at times. And that's what this text is going to get into eventually, probably in the coming weeks. We'll look at this. That not only are we groaning for this glorification process to be complete, but even creation is groaning. Creation is saying, come on, God, get on with it. I'm tired of dealing with these weeds and the sin and everything. I want you to complete this process. You know, we're looking forward to the new heaven, the new earth. See, man was created originally in whose image? God's image. He had a glorious beginning and he was honored and he was respected. He was without sin. He fellowshiped with God. The Bible says when man sinned, he lost his glory, he lost his dignity, he lost his honor. He lost the beauty that was his in creation. That's why Romans 3.23 says that we come, what, short, right, of the glory of God. Why do we? Because of sin. I mean, we all know instinctively that we are devoid of glory. We know that we're not glorified yet. We don't have to, you know, that's, that's kind of common sense. That's why a lot of people today in our society are so caught up with self-esteem. They, 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 they spend tremendous amounts of money and effort seeking self-satisfaction, trying to gain respect. You know, that's how the whole world feels. And so they manufacture fake respect. You know, you heard that, that void in somebody's heart. That's what it is. And so in his quest for glory, he fills himself with ambition and pride and jealousy. He tries to rise above others in society. But he can't regain that former glory. Post-fall man cannot know pre-fall glory here in this world. But in Christ... 
One day that glory will be restored. One day we who are Christians will be transformed, the Bible says. That we will fully reflect God's glory and will be found in his likeness. We will be like Christ. We won't return to Eden, but you know what? We'll go beyond Eden for perfection. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful blessing that day. Martin Lloyd-Jones observed this. He said, salvation cannot stop at any point short of this entire perfection. It can't stop short of that. So you can't start the process of salvation and, and somehow fall short and, well, okay, well, he was saved, but he didn't make it to glorification. No. If you're saved, if Christ has convicted you of your sin and you've trusted in him and him alone and the work of Christ on Calvary for the forgiveness of your sin, then you know what? You will be glorified one day. And that's what Romans 8 really speaks to. Man in Christ is reserved for glory. That's his destiny if you're in Christ. Matter of fact, at the end of the chapter, it's kind of exciting because he he gets to a point where he's just kind of overflowing with information. And he says, you know what? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. No one will be able to condemn us. Who's going to lay a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. He glorifies. There's no such thing as salvation without glorification. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this, We all with unveiled face, nothing hindering our, our vision, in other words, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as the Spirit of our Lord. That's 2 Corinthians three eighteen. As we gaze at the glory of God, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into that same image. One level of glory to the next. And see, while we're here on earth, the Holy Spirit's taking us through these phases, through these different levels of glory, through sanctification. He lifts us up by restoring our dignity. And little by little, we look at the glory of the Lord and the Spirit restores that honor eventually that we lost in the fall. It's a constant work. When we see Christ, we will reflect his glory fully. Salvation is a path to glory. And once you begin on that path, you have to come to its end. Because that's the essence of salvation for which we were saved. Glorification. But there's a problem. (laughs) The problem is this. The path to glorification is through suffering. So now that I got you all pumped up, <laughs> it's like taking a pin and go, you know, not really. Because even suffering is the work of God in our lives. But let's look at the problem of suffering. And it's kind of good because we're talking about the Lord's suffering through our communion time. Why would Paul, I mean, he's kind of on this, you know, rampage. Well, this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden he introduces this idea of suffering. Why would he do it at this point? It's just kind of like raining on everybody's parade. Um, If we're trying to assure Christians that they're really Christians and salvation is secure, I mean, mentioning suffering is probably one of the last things you want to do. But he doesn't. He does it. He brings it right up. There's a lot of different books on suffering. There's a lot of different books that Christians write on suffering. And probably one of the, the most popular books over the years that have been written by Rabbi Kushner, it says when bad things happen to what? Good people. I disagree with his title because there are no good people, but that's beside the point. You know, he, he addressed a, a subject 
Um, and as Christians, we acknowledge the, the, the problem of suffering. And sometimes we even wrestle with it. But I don't think that we would necessarily think of presenting it as a proof, suffering that is, as a proof that somebody's a child of God. I don't know if we'd go there. That's what Paul does. He drags up this subject here. And I think, first of all, because he was a realist. He was a realist. He was an evangelist. He was a pastor. He knew what the people were going through. He knew the people to whom he was writing this letter. And the early ministers of the gospel began to suffer for the gospel as soon as they began to obey the Lord's great commission. I mean, it was immediate. Peter and John were jailed. Stephen was killed. Paul himself was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He starved. He threatened. He was exposed to the elements, the Bible tells us. And these are all these early preachers who became followers of Christ. They were ridiculed. They were hated. They were abused. And eventually they were martyred for their faith. And they were done so in great, it was done so in great numbers. In addition to that, they endured many disappointments. They endured many deaths, disasters. All the things that come from a sinful and fallen world, they experienced. And when you read through the New Testament with suffering in mind, you'll be... You'll be startled to discover how it's all over the place. This isn't a health, wealth, and, you know, good life kind of book. It's a real book. That's why Jesus in John 16, 33 says what? In this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have trouble. Most of the New Testament epistles have an important discussion about suffering. Suffering is as common to God's people today as it was in the New Testament times. We need to understand that. Because I think if we don't understand that premise, sometimes when we're enduring suffering, we can begin to believe the enemy that, well, there's something wrong in my life. No. Maybe everything's right in your life. It's true that most of us do not experience this special kind of suffering we call persecution today. However, I think there's going to be a time in America where we will be persecuted for our faith. But right now, in all parts of the world, brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted. They're being murdered. They're being killed. They're being raped and pillaged because of their faith in Christ. We suffer when we lose a husband, a wife, or some other family member through death. That's suffering. We grieve when life itself or the friends or children disappoint us. We feel that pain, that trauma, that sickness. We're hurt by things like prejudice and poverty. And sometimes lack of rewarding work. Just feel like, ah, we're, you know, what's the use? I mean, you can go on and on with different lists. But see, Paul was a realist. And it caused him to bring up this subject because it's kind of like the elephant in the room. So I think the second reason Paul brought this up at this point was that he was aware of this simple fact that many non-Christians were approaching suffering and the idea of suffering in a different way. And he wanted to bring it up and show them what's the biblical way, what's the Christ-like way to deal with it. And so when we begin here, we want to see, well, what are some ways that non-Christians deal with suffering? Well, first of all, people get angry. (laughs) When they suffer or their family suffers, they get angry. It's very common for unbelievers to get angry when they're going through suffering. They try to blame others or God for their misfortunes. Unfortunately, that's even true of some Christians. And they blame God because they think that somehow God hasn't done something for them or he's done something to them, and they're resentful. 
So anger is a very common way that a non-believer and even some Christians would respond to suffering. And we forget that Jesus has not promised us an easy life here. That's not what he promised us. Jesus didn't promise us the fulfillment of all of our desires here on earth. He has called us to what? Discipleship. The glory is to come. But life here is tough. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app. New and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City-CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.